My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew once again. Matthew 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And let me uh, just set the stage a little bit for this or where we are and so on. Uh, We've been looking at these questions of the last week. Questions that were asked of Jesus, by Jesus, to Jesus. But questions that were asked during the last week of Jesus' life. We've looked at questions that were asked when Jesus was anointed with a very expensive perfume, and the disciple says, why this waste? We looked at questions that took place on Thursday, the day before Jesus was crucified. At the Last Supper, when when all the disciples said, surely you don't mean I'm going to betray you, Lord. I, I would never do that. In the garden, when the disciples fell asleep, and Jesus said, can't you stay awake for an hour? And then at the arrest... When Jesus looked at the crowd and said, am I leading some kind of a rebellion? Last week we talked about one of the really key questions. This week is another one. But last week we talked about Pilate. About Pilate saying, you know what, what should I do with Jesus? What do I do with this guy? He's here now and I don't know what to do with him. This morning we're going to actually move back a little bit in our schedule here in our time. And we're going to go to Sunday for the triumphal entry to the event that takes place uh, really at the beginning of Passover week. And let me say a couple of things about Passover. First of all, uh, Passover, we need to recognize, was part family reunion. People would come all, from all over Israel, really actually from all over the world, they would come to Jerusalem because you wanted to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And so family members who were up in Galilee and so on, and the town would, would triple or quadruple in size. The population of Jerusalem would just soar. And it was that, that time of joy, of, of being together again with family, of seeing old friends. It was part family reunion, part religious service. At the center of it was the Passover meal where we remember that because of the blood of the Lamb, the people of Israel were saved. They were brought out of Egypt. They were escaping death. And so that was that time of of religious service. But it was also, and this is significant for us today, it was also part Independence Day, all right? It was their Independence Day because it was the day in which they said, this is when God set us free from slavery, the oppressors in Egypt. This is our Independence Day. They would sing patriotic songs. They would, they would celebrate this, that this is the time. And they would pray, God, do it again. God, do it again. Set us up and set us free. And that's why the Romans would double the amount of soldiers in Jerusalem during Passover week. So it was big crowds, and there was always some stress, always some tension in, 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 in Passover week in Jerusalem because there was that edge that the Romans were the oppressors and the people were saying, God, do it again. Set us free, not from Egypt, but now from the Romans. The crowds would begin to arrive well in advance of Passover. That's why when we see on this Sunday as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, as Jesus comes into the city, there are very large crowds that gather with him. It's not just those following Jesus. It's all those who've been coming from all over to come into the city, to come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. This is Jesus and his disciples. And so they started off most likely in Bethany there. They came to Bethphage, which would be about here. As they're approaching this, this is what happens. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
Say to daughter Zion, that's Jerusalem, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Praise God. And so they ride down the Mount of Olives and they come into the city of Jerusalem. And then this happens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was shaking. It literally says shaking as if it were an earthquake. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The people are wondering, what is this mob coming in? Who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said, we're looking again this morning at questions from the last week, and the one we're specifically looking at is the one we just read there. Who is this? Who is this? And, and, and it is one of the most important questions in all the Gospels, but especially in Matthew, to say, who is Jesus? Who is this one? What is he like? What does he do? Who is Jesus? That's why they tell these stories. They're answering that question, one of the key questions they answer. But here's something you may have noticed and wondered about, and maybe you understand it, but, but one of the really interesting things to notice as you go through the Gospels, and Mark in particular, Matthew has it also, but, but until we get to the triumphal entry, until we get to the passage we read today, actually just a couple of days before it, but up to this point, Jesus has wanted to keep his true identity a secret. Up to this point, when somebody says, hey, this is who you are, Jesus, he says, shh, don't tell anybody. Let me give you some examples here, all right? Matthew 8, verse 4, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He says, go get your cleansing done at the temple. But he also says this, then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. I mean, this guy had been having leprosy. Now he's healed and he's cured. And Jesus says, just keep it to yourself. Don't tell him who did this. Matthew 9, verse 27. This is going to be an important one. As Jesus went from there, uh, probably Capernaum, his city up north, Galilee, two blind men followed him, all right? Remember that. Tuck that away. Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, that title, son of David, is a big one. That's an important one because it's, it, David was the greatest king in Israel and son, the son of David is the king that's going to come and make everything right again. The son of David is the long-awaited king. The son of David is the one who's going to set everything straight. And so these guys are going, we know who you are. You're the son of David. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're the one who's going to set us free. Have mercy on us. And look at what Jesus does. He, he basically ignores them. He just goes inside. When he had gone indoors, when he had gone indoors, then the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They say, yes. He heals them and he warned them sternly, sternly, see that no one knows about this, all right? See that no one knows about this. Matthew 12, 16, Jesus healed many and he warned them not to tell others about him. Matthew 16, Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Well, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? He had asked who the others said. Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus said, 100%. Nailed it. 
And then he orders his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Strange. I mean, he came to save the world. He came to be the king of kings. And yet when people say that, he says, no. And up to this point, and, and a couple of chapters further, actually, up to this point, Jesus has wanted to keep his true identity a secret. He's not wanted, and I'll come back to why that is in a minute, but he's wanted to keep it a secret. But here, what we start to see, and this is why this story is such an important one, because what we start to see here in this, in this entry into Jerusalem and the story right before is, is that Jesus goes public with who he is. Jesus starts to say, okay, fine. <laughs> it's time for me to be clear about this. It's fine for me to, to finally be up front. It's fine, time for me to finally tell everybody, and you can talk about me all you want, and you can sing about me all you want. Jesus, as it were, you know, does his debut here. And, and, and it's, again, notice something as we go through this. He does this in such a way. And, and I hope this is as fun for you as it is for me. I know I'm a nerd on this kind of stuff. But he, he does this in a way that he wants to make it clear that the, the Jewish people will get it. It'll be very clear to them what he's saying about who he is. But he also wants it not to be so clear to the Romans. He does not want them to just kill him today. He doesn't want to come right out and say it in language the Romans are going to get. And so Jesus says what he wants to say, but he says it sort of in a, in a way that the Jewish people got and the Romans really didn't. So what does Jesus say about himself? What is so important for us to know? Two things. The first thing he says is just wonderful news. It was the prayer of the people of his day. It's our prayer today. Jesus says, I am the king you've been waiting for. I am the one. And he, and he says that to them. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that, that you've been looking forward to. And he says it to us. As you listen to this, as you think about this, as, you, as we try to feel what it was these people felt on that day and what they experienced on that day of having Jesus come into town, recognize we all want something or someone to help us. We're all looking for something. We're all looking for somebody. We're all looking for somebody who can make it right, somebody who can take away the pain, somebody who can give us meaning, somebody who can give us purpose. And Jesus says to you this morning and to me this morning, I am. I am the king you've been waiting for. I am the one you are hungry for. He does it, like I say, in a way that the Jewish people get the Roman stone. He starts by saying, I'm the son of David. Three things here. I'm the son of David is the first thing he says. I will take that title. I am the king. Let's go back. Remember Matthew 9, verse 27? It was only 10 minutes ago. You got to remember, right? Two men, two blind men, and they say, have mercy on a son of David. Jesus goes in the house and he heals them privately and says, see that no one talks about this. Now, this is a year plus later, Matthew 20, right before the triumphal entry. I think it's on the Friday. If the triumphal entry was on Sunday, we're talking Friday here. So right before it, look at this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed. And we've got a big group of folks coming from Jericho up to Bethany, two blind men. Hey, we heard a story about two blind men not that long ago. They were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. It's almost exact. Two blind guys saying, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. All right? They're saying the same things. But Jesus responds differently. 
And just imagine you were one of his disciples, right? For three years, he's been doing this amazing stuff. He's been showing that he's the Messiah in so many ways. And every time somebody says it, you're the, the son of God, you're the Messiah, you're the, you're, you're the king. Every time he says, be quiet. So now they have another blind, set of blind guys saying, have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David, you are the king. We know that. And this time, what does Jesus do? He stops. He stops. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Give us our sight. And he does. He does. Again, can you imagine the disciples at that moment kind of going from, well, time out, right? I mean, you always said, no. now all of a sudden you stop in front of a large crowd, in front of everybody, and you say, oh, yeah, son of David, that's me. I'm here. What do you want me to do for you? He doesn't wait till he's inside. He doesn't tell them to stay quiet. He accepts that title. He says, I am, by stopping, by doing that miracle, he says, I am the son of David. And the crowd picks it up because that's part of what they sing about when they come into the town, right? The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. They're getting the idea, this is the king, this is the one. I am the son of David. And then Jesus gives another signal. And again, this one is a little more subtle for us, but they would have gotten it. He basically says, I stand on the Mount of Olives. I come into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, right? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead. Who cares? Let me tell you, those folks knew. They knew their scriptures, and they knew Zechariah 14, all right? In, In the prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah looks forward to a day when the king comes. He says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations and he fight as he fights on a day of battle on that day Zechariah says his feet will stand on the mount of olives east of Jerusalem the Jewish people believe that when God comes to save Israel he will start on the mount of olives he will come there then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him and the Lord will be king verse 9 over the whole earth and it all starts on the mount of olives And Jesus is saying, friends, when I come in, I am the king who is coming in. And if you say, well, Ron, that seems a bit much. Let me show you a picture of the Mount of Olives today. This is fascinating. If you're standing on top of the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem, Jerusalem is there in the background. You can see the wall of the city. You know what you see right in front of you? Those look like coffins, right? It's exactly what they are. Jewish people... Jewish people said, I want, to be, I want to be buried on the Mount of Olives because I know when the Lord comes, he's going to come to the Mount of Olives. I know when the Lord comes and saves us, he's going to come from here and his feet are going to stand there. And, 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 and so they had that strong sense. And so the crowd hears Son of David. The crowd sees Jesus stopping at the Mount of Olives and they say, I think we got something here. I think we got something here. So Jesus says, I stand on the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus does the, it's the final thing, and it's the kicker. I ride into Jerusalem as the conquering king. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Why? I think this is the only time in the Gospels we ever see Jesus not walking. But Jesus says, get me a ride. You see, kings and emperors don't walk. Kings and emperors don't walk. Kings and emperors ride. And now for the first time, Jesus says, I'm going to ride. Because I am the king. 
I am coming in as the true conquering hero. I am coming in as the one who will save his people because the king doesn't walk. I ride into Jerusalem and the crowd goes wild, right? I mean, a very large crowd. It was large down in Jericho. Now it's very large of those following Jesus, of those going in, and a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What's that about? Again, I'll be quick here. But again, this all has such good, good Jewish scripture background, Old Testament background. Second Kings 9 verse 11. Elisha is the prophet of God, and Jehu is a military officer. And Elisha calls Jehu to come and see him. And Jehu and his officers go, and this is what happens. When Jehu, there it is, when Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, is everything all right? And I love this respect for pastors. Why did this maniac come to you? Why did this maniac, why did Elisha come to you? What was it about? All right. You know the man. The sort of things he says, Yehu replied, just forget it. It's not true. They said, tell us. Yehu said, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Dude, what? Excuse me? Yeah, he said, I'm the king. And then they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and shouted, Yehu, Yehu is king. So now, Jesus says, I'm the son of David, and he's riding on this donkey, and the crowd spreads their cloaks on the road. And what they're saying is, Jesus is king. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who's going to conquer. Jesus is the one who's going to set us free. He's riding in. And just like they did with Jehu, and just like they did with other kings, the king, well, the king doesn't walk on the ground when he walks, and his animals don't walk on the ground either. Right? You spread the coats. He spread the branches. Why the branches? Why the branches? All right, let's ask. John tells us they're palm branches. John read that during our time of worship. This goes back about 150 years or so to the book of 1 Maccabees, which is part of the books that were written between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not a part of our scriptures. Some Christian churches have them, called the Apocrypha. Or the, yeah, the Apocrypha. And, and so, but this is from that. And, and so, but it's the history of it and the symbolism of it that I want you to see. What happened in this story is the people of, of uh, Israel were under control of the Seleucids, and the Seleucids were nasty. They came in and they would put pork blood all over the temple, which of course is a big no-no. They came in and would try to do all this stuff. And so the, the, the faithful Jewish people ran into the hills. They were led by Simon Maccabee, okay? And they came back and Simon Maccabee led a revolt and, and, and drove out the Seleucids, all right? And, and so that happens in 141 B.C., and this is what we read. On the 23rd day of the second month of the 171st year, that's 141 B.C., the Jews entered it, Jerusalem, with praises and palm branches. As they come back in, they're waving palm branches, right? Because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. And palm branches became a symbol of a national symbol of rebellion against oppressors. Sort of like a bald eagle or a flag. But these palm branches said, we did it once, we can do it again. Come on, let's get rid of the Romans. We got rid of the Seleucids. I mean, this, this is, 
in Middle Eastern times, recent, just, I mean, this is yesterday, 130 years, 140 years is nothing to them. And, and, and so they, this meant a lot. So there's, they're grabbing these branches. John says they're waving them. Matthew says they're putting them on the ground. But the crowd is going, you are the king. You are the king. You are the one. We want to worship you. We want to serve you. And they do that. The crowd went ahead of them. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna, praise to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Messiah, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Praise to God as high as we can be. God save us. God save us. God bless you. These quotes are from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And and this would be a psalm that Jesus and his disciples are going to sing. It was part of what were called the Hallel Psalms. And and it would have been sung on on the Passover meal. Everybody would have known it. It was a popular song. Great is thy faithfulness, whatever you want to pick. But everybody knew it by heart, all right? And everybody knew that this section, this section talked about, well, if you go back to Psalm 118, you'll see it's talking about the king coming into the temple. About the king coming into the temple. And where does Jesus go when he gets into Jerusalem? The temple. And so the people are saying, you are the king. The crowd goes wild and Jesus doesn't stop them. He says, I am the king. I am. Stand on the Mount of Olives. I ride into Jerusalem. And I am the king. And again, like I said just a few minutes ago, I want he's the king you're looking for. He's the conquering hero you need. Each and every one of us comes, and we need somebody who has power that we don't. We need somebody who has strength that we don't. We need somebody who can do what we can't. We need a king. And Jesus is the only one who can save us. He can conquer our enemies, and he can set us free. He is the king we've been waiting for. Second one's going to be much shorter. But it's as, if not more, important. Jesus is saying, I am the king. But Jesus wants us to know something, and this is why they crucified him. Because he wants to say, I am not the kind of king you think I am. I'm not the kind of king you think I am. That's why I haven't meant, I mean, we want to know why Jesus said, don't tell anybody, because he knew, and this happened in the Gospel of John, that if people knew he was the king, they'd say, oh, good, well, then let's get our swords out, and let's fight, and let's make you, and Jesus is like, no, you don't understand, that's not the kind of king I am. And we in the church keep getting this wrong as well. Jesus says, I am a king on a donkey. <laughs> I am a king who rides a donkey. <laughs> you see, the reality is, is we want our kings on war horses, Right, I want a king who's going to be big and riding his steed of a white horse and he's got a huge sword in his hand and he is going to take out my enemies and he is just going to cut off their heads and the blood is going to flow and we want our kings to have the blood of our enemies on their hands. That's who we want, right? We want a king who has got enough power to get those who are over us out of the way so that we can be on top. And that's what the Jewish people were looking for. That's what they wanted. And that's why Jesus gets us and says, no, no, you don't understand. I am the king, but I'm not the kind that you think I am. Matthew goes out of his way to highlight it. Matthew, John, uh, read earlier, John does as well. Uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Chapter 9 this time, verse 9. Say to daughter Zion, Jerusalem, see your king comes to you. Gentle. Sometimes that's translated lowly in the King James, humble, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus says, you're right, and you're so wrong. 
I am the king. I am the one who gives you whatever you need. But I'm the king on a donkey. And what Jesus goes on to do is, in the way Jesus wins, in the way Jesus saves us is so different. Because Jesus came to save us, but he did it by dying. And he came to conquer, but he did it by his blood. And he came to set us free from our sin. See, we ask too little of Jesus. We say, Jesus, change my boss. Jesus, make me feel better. Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I'm not going to just do this little thing for you. I'm not going to, Jesus is not into regime change. He's not into saying, let's get rid of the Romans and then let's have the Jewish people now be the regime. No, he's the king. And what he wants to do is not just release us from all of that. He wants to save us from ourselves. He wants to save us from our sin. He wants to save us from our brokenness. And, and people said, well, hold on. That's not what I signed up for. But that's who Christ is. He is not the kind of king we think he is. He's a king who dies on the cross. He's a king. We lift up our eyes and see the king has come. And as we sang that this morning, I looked at the cross and I thought, Lord, help me to remember that that's where you reign, that you reign by dying. I want you to destroy my enemies, and yet you love your enemies. So God, teach me how to walk in your ways. The people, when they realized that this was the case later in the week, changed their cries from Hosanna to crucify him. That's kind of the way Jesus wants it. See, Jesus says to each and every one of us, I'm a king, you can crown me, or you can kill me. And that's still true today. Because he's not a king who's just going to defeat our enemies. He's a king who's going to call us to repentance and surrender and submission. And the questions we ask as we close are these. Will we accept this king? Will we let Jesus be who he really is? Because the church, and I myself do this, I want to make Jesus somebody who's just always on my side. I want to make Jesus somebody who just does what I want him to do. I want to make Jesus my helper. But he is my king on a donkey who knows that what I need most is not to get the troublesome people in this church out of my way. What I need most is to get the trouble and sin in my heart washed away and changed. Will we accept this king Will we offer him our worship because he is worthy of absolutely every part of it? And will we follow this king? I mean, that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. <laughs> I want to follow a king who's defeated his enemies, and I get to take out my sword and take a few swipes myself. But Jesus says, follow the king to your cross, to die to yourself, and find life. Friends, we need to understand something that Jesus, Jesus is the only king who can truly set us free. He's the only one. He's what you want. He's what you've been seeking. But you must let him be who he is, the king on a donkey. Let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> we know we need saving. We know we need help. Give us hearts that understand that your grace comes through the cross. Then we need saving not from our enemies, but from ourselves and from our sin. And that you call us to die for those around us and to be servants, to ride donkeys, not war horses.
Forgive us, Father, when we've used our power in ways to hurt and damage others. And remind us that you come, the king, gentle, lowly, humble, riding on a donkey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.